Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. Today, we'll be listening to a message from Pastor Alex Barefoot. James chapter 4. We're going to run through James in 15 minutes. Chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Remember, as we look at this, what we're looking at is the whole book of James and why James is writing this, who he's writing it to, who James is. He is the brother of Jesus who came to believe after Jesus raised from the dead. Where do fights and quarrels come from among you? So he starts this verse. Remember, we're talking about behavior and behavior modification. James has said, if you have faith in God... He is a behavior modification God because he wants to transfer or or transform you into the image of Jesus. And so he wants your behavior to begin to look righteous, to look like God, right? And so he's he's saying, so why do you have these disagreements among you? Now, what I want you to see about chapter 4 in James is it's all about how we treat each other. It's all about what we say. It's all about, you know, uh, this, this whole idea of, of you responding to one another rightly. He says, do they not come from, so he's given us the root, do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members? And so there's this desire for pleasure that, or when we say pleasure, we are so perverted today in our thought processes for pleasure. But it's just really saying, I want what I want when I want it. Your desire to want what you want when you want it, (laughs) this is the way I want what I want when I want it. That is what causes this. He says, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot retain. Let me uh, explain to you what Jesus said about murder. This is just about attitude. He's not talking about killing people necessarily, although they probably include it. But Jesus said, if you're angry at your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. If you're angry at your brother without cause, you've committed murder. And so your, your desire for pleasure in this battle that goes on inside you causes you to be angry at your brother without cause. And you covet because you covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And so he's, he, his whole thought process is saying the reason that you're Acting out the way you are is because your eyes are pointed in the wrong direction. Your eyes are pointed inward in what you want instead of asking God. Remember when we started with James chapter 1, we started with if you fall into various trials, the testing, uh, uh, ask for wisdom, and he will give it to you liberally, freely. So now he's going, he's saying, the reason that you don't have or the reason your life is twisted is because you're not asking for wisdom. You're not asking for heavenly advice. He says, even when you ask, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. In other words, you're asking so you can satisfy that thing in you that says, I want what I want when I want it. You with me? 
And so that's what he's dealing with. And he said, he said, so your eyes are on the wrong place. You're being motivated by inward desires that, that are messing you up. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses. Now, what's he talking about? Is he talking about sexual? He's not. He's talking about spiritual. He's talking about your, where you're getting your where you're getting your input? Is it a worldly input? Is it, is it, uh, uh, is it just way of thinking that comes from a, a, you, the way your family has thought for years and years and years and years? Is it a, a genetic way of thinking? And he's saying, you've got other things in your, in your life that are motivating your actions that take precedent over the way God would have you act. And because you're saying that, he's saying you're an adulterer or adulteress because you've got, you, you're married to some other God. You're married to some other way of thinking. Everybody with me? Yeah. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yeah. You remember uh, in, in, in Romans, it says that Jesus didn't come, or in the Gospels it says this as well. He says, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it, right? He said, because of the decisions you're making in your own heart, you condemn yourself. God's not going to condemn you. God came to save you and me. He, he came to rescue us. So how, do you, how are you condemned? Well, you don't choose God. You don't choose God's way. What's he saying here? He's saying the exact same thing. He's saying because you ask, you're asking amiss. You're asking wrongly because all you're asking for is for God to satisfy your selfish pleasure, your, your selfish ambition, the way that you want to do things. Everybody with me? Is this tough? <laughs> well, it, it, it should be good. It should be good because it should help us to understand. God says to rejoice in the process, but it helps us to understand if we believe that God's way is good. <laughs> we sing it all the time. You are good, good. Oh, your way is good. I make you first in my songs, but not in my heart and not what I do. I just sing them in church because it sounds real good and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy and I get all excited, but it really doesn't do anything to change me or my motivation. That's kind of what, that's what he's talking about. So it's challenging to me. It's challenging to me because what he's saying is, you ask God amiss. How many of us ask God selfishly for stuff? This is what he's addressing. He's addressing, you want it this way, so you demand God provide it this way. I was talking to somebody the other day, and this is what I said. I said, when I pray for people, I pray strongly for people. And I don't necessarily pray. Let's just say I'm praying for Nyla. She's a good example. I'm praying for Nyla, and I'm asking the Lord you know, to bless Nyla, to uh, you know, to come upon Nyla, to give her wisdom and revelation. And I might not do that every day because 
I believe that God just heard my prayer. Not only do I believe that, but I believe God has good prepared for Nyla that is way above my expectation of that good for Nyla. In other words, I've got a minimized view of God's goodness toward Nyla. And so I'm going to ask him for that. I'm going to believe that. And the only time I'm really going to lift her up again is if God says, lift Nyla up. And then I'm going to say, God, I pray your goodness on her in the name of Jesus. God, you, you just, you know, I, and, just, and just roll over it. But from the moment I pray, I understand that the goodness of God toward her is way bigger than I could ever imagine or think. And my imagination isn't big enough for the goodness of God on Nyla. You see what I'm saying? This is what he's kind of this is what he's kind of doing here. He's kind of saying, "Listen, listen, get your get your ideology in the right place. Begin to ask God for the right reasons, expecting God to do good." expecting God to do good. So we are to rejoice in the process. We are to have faith. We're to ask for wisdom. We, we are to believe that we're actually going to receive it. Do you really believe that God works all things for good? Anybody believe that in the room? Yes. For those <laughs> who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's no selfishness in that. There's no selfish motivation in that. He works everything for good for those who love him and are, and are doing what he is showing, that are responding to him in a fashion that's not a not in an adulterous fashion. They don't have another mindset. They don't have selfish ambitions. They don't have their own pleasure in mind when they're asking God for a, 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 a redemption of a situation. They understand that God's redemptive process is a lot bigger and broader than they could ever imagine. What we do, we get tunnel vision, man. We get tunnel vision on stuff. We got somebody in mind, maybe a relative, maybe a son, maybe a daughter. We're praying for that son and daughter, and we're thinking, man, God, I hope you do that right there and, and, and do it now. And if you don't do it now, God, you're really not moving. We get discouraged because God's not doing what we're telling him to do. That's what happens. And God said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If, you'll ju if you just knew what I'm going to do in the future, if you just knew that I'm not only going to mess with your son, but there's 10 other people in relationship with him that in the same time, I'm going to bring some kind of redemptive value to their life as well. It's always bigger than we ever thought it was. And we get tunnel vision, and, and somehow in our mind's eye, we limit God by thinking somehow that our way is better. Instead of really believing that if anybody will choose God, that he's not going to condemn them, he's going to save them. He didn't come to condemn anybody. Matter of fact, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that Everybody had an opportunity to be saved. Well, who condemns them? They condemn themselves. Why? Because they don't choose him. They choose themselves. There's no such thing as an atheist or an agnostic. They just make themselves God. 
I don't believe in God because I'm God, is what they say. That's what they're doing. They can, they can argue anything, but that's what is going on. And so, and so as we trust that God is good, the thing that I see Christians doing more than anything else is sitting down on God. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, you've got this thought, this idea in your mind that this is the way things ought to go. And so you start praying for things to go that way, and then they don't. And then you get really fervent in prayer because the pastor says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth month, and you know that scripture. And so what you do is you is you begin to you, you begin to prevail and travail in prayer, which is fantastic to do in the spirit, but not from selfish ambition, not from selfish purposes. And you got to learn how to identify those two things because you got to know that God is good. And God wants and God loves to such a degree that's much greater than your, agree to even lo- uh, your, your ability to even love or my ability to love. God can love like no other. And matter of fact, we're being transformed to try to understand what agape really looks like. So we don't have the capability to love like God. What we're actually trying to do is to be transformed into a person that actually can love like God. So how in the world can we tell God to love better? Right? And so and we kind of do that in our prayers versus understanding that God loves like no other. He loves us in our brokenness. Matter of fact, he loved you and me so much in our brokenness that even when we rejected him in our brokenness, he just poured out more grace. He, he just said, that's that's my son, that's my daughter. They're going to come. I know their heart. Here's more grace. They're coming. Here's more grace. He knows. And what we see Christians doing is they get discouraged because God isn't doing what they're asking him to do. But he says you, you, you need to ask, but you need to ask with the right posture. And that is to know that he is good. You can be confident that he is good in every relationship with your, you're in. If you've got kids that are wayward, or if you've got people that you love that are wayward, or if you've got people that are thinking stupid right now, you've got to know that God is good. He is good. Don't sit down on God. What do I mean by sitting down on God? Well, what I see people do is, well, they don't see God moving the way they thought or they're not really sure he's good. I mean, they sing about him being good, but they really don't believe he's being good, so they don't really change their behavior. They just sit there and kind of in their, in their old way of doing things, expecting a new result. And that's what I'm calling sitting down on God. You sit in a place, in a way of thinking, whether it's worldly or whether it's just the way you've always thought, instead of thinking about God wants to redeem and reconcile this thing, and I know he's good, and I know he's bigger than me, and I know he sees things more than I see, and I know his redemptive process and his redemptive plan is way bigger than this one little finite thing that I'm actually praying about, and so I'm going to trust God to bring goodness to the whole situation. I'm trusting to do those things. It says you're asking, you're asking amiss. 
You're asking because you're asking out of this selfish thing that's in your heart. And then we adopt the world's system of thinking. And he says, when you do that, you're actually making yourself at enmity, an enemy of God. Did God make you an enemy? No. You did. Because you don't want to think the way he's, you don't want to trust. You don't believe. Then he keeps on going. Verse 5. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? But he gives more grace. Somebody said that to, with me. He gives. Say it again loud. He gives. Therefore, he says, God resists the. And he gives grace to the. How much does he give to the humble? More. What, what's humility? Humility is subjecting yourself to the goodness of God. I don't know better than you, God. My way's not your ways, God. I understand it. I trust your goodness. I lift this to you, and I know that you already know the end from the beginning. See, for me, and how I do it in a, in a, when we've got this many people is I just know. God already knows. He's not going to ever get to the end of any situation and go, I didn't see that coming. Never saw it coming. Wow, Jesus, did you see that one coming? Yet we fret. That's why he can say, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, wear. Why? Because he already knows the end from the beginning. And he already knows that he's good towards you. The plans I have for you, says the Lord, is to prosper you and not to harm you. It, it is, it is, it's out of his nature to do that. How does harm come then? It comes because sin's in the world, and it becomes because we are adulterous people who think differently than God. And even when he gives us his way, we sit down on him. And the Lord's saying, quit sitting down on me. You keep sitting down on me, and I'm, you're going to keep bearing the same fruit you've been bearing. You want to bear the same miserable fruit you've been bearing? Sit down on me. Unless you humble yourself before me, and then I'll give you. And then if you need more, I'll give you. Why? Because your heart. Is in a place to actually receive more grace. But he gives grace, therefore, to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Here's your solution. Submit to God, resist the devil, and, the, and it says, and he will flee you. He will flee from who? Will he flee from the Holy Spirit? No. Will he, who, who will he flee from? You. Why? Because he knows you're in unity with the Father. He doesn't have a chance. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Do you see this correlation? What's it, what's it coming down to? It's coming down to whether you're going to sit down on God or not or whether you're going to agree with him. Whether you're going to submit yourself to him or not or whether you're going to demand your own way. It's what James is dealing with. And he's saying, here's your solution. Resist the devil, 
and he'll flee you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, get rid of the, the bad way of thinking and the bad way of doing. You sinners, sinners is missing the mark. Those of you who are missing the mark, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. What's a double-minded person? Somebody who claims to be a Christian but thinks ways and does ways of doing that are contrary to Scripture. That's a double-minded person. It says, therefore, lament and mourn and weep about your condition. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom about your condition of being, being double-minded. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. It's a promise. This is God's promise. If you'll humble yourself before me, if you'll submit to me, if you'll come into agreement with me, if you won't sit down on me, <laughs> I'll lift you up. But if you keep doing what you've always done and expect different results because you ask amiss, he says you haven't received because you ask amiss. Because you're not willing to, to make the hard call. You know what the hard call is for me? Ah, the hard call for me is to trust God to do good. Because I'm a control freak. Don't look at me like I'm the only one in the room. You're a control freak. And we want to control what God does. And he said, no, nah, don't do that. Trust me. Do it my way. Well, I wonder if it means letting someone go. Do you think you love them, Pastor, more than I love them? Do you think that you love them, Mom, more than I love them? Dad, do you think you love them more than I love them? Do you think you have mastered agape better than me? Do you really believe God is good and he works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Lord, help those that are suffering and that are, have set themselves at, as an enemy of God. Help them have revelation. I got to get to this. I love the fact that the Holy Spirit learns, the, 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 the yearns. The Lord yearns for us to agree with the Spirit He placed in us. If you're born again, the Spirit of God and the Father is sitting on the throne yearning. You ever wanted your kid to make a different daggone decision? You ever gone, come on, man. Get your behavior right. Come on. Don't think like that. Don't do that. You ever yearn for your kids to do the right thing? Can you imagine what it's like to be the creator of the universe and, 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 and it says in Scripture that he yearns for us? What? What's he yearn for? Just to come into agreement. Just agree with the creator of all things. That's all he yearns for is for us to agree with him. Verse 11, don't speak evil of one another. Again, we're talking about this behavioral mollification, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who 
are you to judge another, to judge your neighbor? I just want to hit this real quick because I, I, I think this is the time that we need to do. What's he saying? In, in, in Genesis chapter 15, he, God makes this covenant with Abraham. He makes this covenant with Abraham. And, and I, I really want you to get this story because this is what this is talking about. And I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to close after this. I've got some more to do, but I have to come in another time. But he makes this covenant with Abraham. He says, I want you to take these lambs. I want you to take these sheep. I want you to cut them in half. I want you to lay them down on the ground. And we're going to make this covenant, which is the way they made a covenant in that day. And they would both walk through that, this blood covenant. They both walk through that. And what it meant was, is when you did that, if we don't, if we don't do what we're saying we're making covenant about, then the, the penalty for that is death. And, and, so, and so Abraham does, and what God does is he puts Abraham to sleep, and God walks through that sacrifice for both parties. And what he's saying here is you're treating people, and you're judging people by the law, and, 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 and he gets even into that a little bit more as he, he goes on down. He said, he said, you're deciding in your own heart who God is going to walk through that covenant with. You're, you're beginning to judge them based on what they're doing or how they're responding to God. And you have no idea who actually is going to respond to the covenant of God in the future. You have no idea how that covenant is going to play out in the life of the person that you're judging is a, is a sinner and will never know God. Or somebody who is desperately in need of God and is, is backslidden in some backslidden condition, you have no idea who God is going to walk through that covenant with and redeem and restore and bring freedom and life and everything else. He says, stop judging those people who aren't responding to the Word of God the way they should. And quit treating them differently than you would treat somebody who's in covenant with God because you never know who God is going to redeem or restore and bring freedom to. You're not the judge of that. You can't see the future. I can't see the future. We need to believe and pray and understand that God's desire and will is that none should perish. And he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world so that we might live life to the full. How do you do that? Submit to God and resist the devil. Come back to him. Do his way. Quit sitting down on God. Quit getting mad at God because he's not doing things the way you think he ought to. God is good. He's good. He's good. He wants us to pour out the vinegar. Put in the life. He said, you and I, rivers of living water would flow from us. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Eastside Church exists to help people encounter Jesus, be equipped to grow and engage their community. For more information, please go to our website at eastsidechurch.co.